think Russ has the privilege. You have to put up with it. Just to uh, get your minds working, my uh, 10-year-old granddaughter said, you never know how many chameleons, how many chameleons you have in your house. Think about that for a second. <laughs> you never know how many chameleons you have in your house. <laughs> Some of you say, what? Ask someone. Lord, thank you for your presence this morning. We're just so grateful. Thank you that we can have this intimate fellowship with you. Not just when we pass from this life and meet you in heaven, but even now. And we just thank you. Thank you that by your spirit you lead us into truth. You transform us. You change us. Conform us to the image of Christ. Do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I was uh, driving into, down the hill into town and a, uh, a big logging truck was next to me and the logging truck started to edge into my lane which uh, I, don't, I don't know what was happening uh, that wasn't the issue but the issue was it made me realize that we have these boundaries and we just trust people to stay in their, their boundary. All it is is a dotted line on the road. If that big logging truck had decided he wanted my lane, there was nothing I could do about it. And it just hit me about those boundaries. It's, it's even more so when you're traveling on a two-lane road and you might be doing 100 Ks an hour and someone's coming at you 100 Ks an hour and you're trusting that they're gonna stay in their lane. They might only be two meters away. I grew up in a, a big city, Los Angeles, and we had big freeways, and there was always a big divider between, so I, I had to get used to traveling here, and just, I would edge way over the side, just trusting, praying, these guys stay in their lane. And so, uh, there's something about that. Turn with me to Genesis chapter one. I woke up uh, the other night, in the middle of the night, and felt this expression running through my head. The problem is sin. And uh, that eventually turned into a whole theological discussion in my mind. And I thought, well, that, that was wonderful for me. Maybe someday that will turn into, I, I get all kinds of those ideas. I'm a bit different than most pastors from the standpoint is that I'm not trying to find out something to preach to you each week. I'm trying to limit it from five or six different things to what is God saying this week. Uh, but I thought that was for me or sometime in the future and that next day I just continued preparing what I was preparing for that week. And uh, the next night I had the same thing happen. And I thought, well, maybe there's more to this than me. And so uh, if you need a title for this morning, 
The title is this, The Problem is Sin. Genesis chapter one. We have this wonderful story of God creating man and uh, from verse 26 of chapter one. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made us, mankind, in his image so that we could have a relationship with him and then also gave us dominion over the earth. We haven't done such a great job with it though, have we? But then uh, in chapter two, he creates a boundary. From verse 16, and God commanded man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That uh, you shall surely die literally is dying you will die. And so God sets a boundary. Basically, eating of that tree was rejecting God's rule. It was establishing self-rule. I want to decide what's right and wrong. And so it really came down to this rebellion against God's rule. Now, I don't want to get into a whole theological discourse on that, but I just want to point out that when that happens, there's a lot of consequences. And too often we focus just on the consequences, but there's a number, and I want to just run them by you real quick before we get back into this. So God establishes, you know the story. Uh, they, the serpent came and, and uh, convinced Eve it was in her best interest, and she ate and gave to her husband, and they had rebelled against God. And then he comes, and uh, he called to Adam in verse uh, Nine of chapter three, the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. I'm gonna blame it on her. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the bottom line is that sin, rebellion entered the world and there was some consequences with that. We're way down the the, uh, river in history. But those consequences still exist. The first consequence was death. Dying you will die. He's really talking about spiritual death. He's talking about separation from God, we're, we're no longer in relationship because God intended us to, for relationship. And when we rebel against his rule, we're out of relationship. And that's the situation where much of the, the world is. Romans 6.23 says the, uh, 
the wages or the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But the result is death or separation from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says virtually the same thing. I can see that I'm going to be very slow. But it says this. But your iniquities or your sin have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that you may not hear. So there's something that happens. There is a spiritual death that takes place when we rebel against God. When we think that we can decide for ourselves, not just Adam for us, but us. This applies to us. I think I can make my own choices and I don't need God. But then the other consequence of that was shame. They knew that they were uncovered. And so what did they do? They hid, and then they covered themselves. How often is that the case when we're not redeemed that we hide what we're really like? We live in this state of shame. Kate's going to do some more on that in a few weeks. But not just shame, also guilt. They knew they had done wrong. And the problem with guilt is then we try and justify ourselves and blame someone else. It wasn't me, it was him. It was her. It was the serpent. I always find it interesting to read the news or different things and find out that we have a whole culture that still lives with guilt and always blaming someone else. It wasn't me. It was someone else. Our, when our boys were young, uh, our two sons had this altercation and our second son said that his older brother, our second son is Andrew, his older brother Matt, Matt punched me. And we said, Matt, what did you do? Following Genesis. And Matt said, I didn't punch him. I just held out my fist and he ran into it. <laughs> it was his fault. So not only is the, the consequence of death, separation from God, shame, guilt, it's also darkness. When we rebel against God, we come under the rule of the devil, part of the kingdom of darkness. The problem with that is that the kingdom of darkness is governed by selfishness and different values. Selfishness leads to all kinds of stuff. It leads to victimization. Many of us have been the victims of other people's selfishness. Someone was telling me about a movie, I haven't seen it yet, but it's all about the sex slave industry. How in the world do we get to that point? Because someone in their selfishness feels like that they can make money on someone else's victimization. That's the world we live in. That's the consequence of rebellion against God. But also different values in that kingdom of darkness lead us to wrong thinking. 
toxic thinking. But in addition to that, there's more. It gets worse. In addition to that, there's sickness and the deterioration of the body. Aging. Ooh. And death. All those are the consequences. So it starts with spiritual death, separation from God. It leads us to uh, a place of relational and emotional death, and eventually leads to physical death. All those, the consequence of sin. The bad news is that the Bible says we've all sinned. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what that means is that we're all in the state of death. We'll get to the good news later. <laughs> You're all going, what? I want you to understand, while there are consequences of sin, sin, rebellion against God has consequences, the real problem, the real root is the sin. All the consequences stem from that. Yet if you're aware, you would see that the unredeemed world we live in tries to bypass the problem of sin and fix the consequences. A guy named Freud once said that the problem is feelings of guilt. And if you throw off the mores or the values of society, you can remove the feelings of guilt. So the feelings of guilt are really society's fault. A friend of mine once said, you feel guilty because you are. Religion says we believe we can discipline ourselves to be less selfish. We can mask our inner selfishness with more appropriate outward behavior. I realized this when I was about 16 years old. This is a ridiculous story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I uh, had purchased some donuts and was eating some donuts. And uh, my sister, just kind of teasing me, said, thanks for sharing your donuts. I didn't share my donuts. But I, I, had ate, all, I ate all the donuts. But I realized I didn't want to share my donuts. I had been taught by my parents I should share, and sharing was a good action, and I was often forced into sharing, but my heart 
didn't want to share. And the Holy Spirit hit me. I was about 16 with a full revelation. I am selfish. What am I saying? There's, I can give you a whole lot of other illustrations, but I don't have time. The problem isn't the consequences. Though we face those, the problem is sin. But here's the good news. <laughs> Finally. Okay, we have some good news. The good news is that Jesus removes our sin. And with it, the consequences. We sang it in a couple of the songs that we sang. Isaiah 53, verse 6. This wonderful chapter. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Sin, rebellion, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 12, uh, the end of that, chap- that verse. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. 2 Corinthians 5.21. When I say second, I shouldn't turn to 1 Corinthians, should I? Says this, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he bore our sin. This all comes from the background of Leviticus. Nobody likes to read Leviticus. It's all these rules. But Leviticus chapter 16, I'm gonna just read you two, couple of scriptures, verse 20 and 22. It's about the Day of Atonement. It's about the sacrifice that God established, which was all a type, a prophetic picture of what would happen in Christ. It says, and when he had made end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, the altar, he shall bring the live goat. He had picked two goats. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land and they shall release the goat in the wilderness." The story there is that Jesus did not just cover our sin, he removes it. By his death, by his sacrifice, he actually removes our sin. This is the good news. When we turn, repent and turn to him, our sin is placed on him. We become righteous. God forgives us and we can come back into relationship with him. We're also transferred from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of God. There's no hesitancy, there's no lag, there's no waiting, there's no take a number. Instantly, we're made righteous, forgiven, and we start to relationship with God. But some of the habitual thinking of the kingdom of darkness, some of the values that we've accepted by being part of that kingdom, some of the hard wiring in our brain takes some time to rewire. Romans 12.2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation changes our thinking. It changes the hard wiring in our brain. For instance, if you're used to living in guilt and have developed a habit of always blaming others, rather than taking responsibility, even when you're redeemed and come to Jesus, that habit often remains, and we have to change the way we're thinking. If you're used to living in shame and, and hiding and living in secrecy, then coming to Jesus and being redeemed, being restored to relationship, we can still have a habit pattern, a thinking pattern of secrecy and hiding because of shame. So God wants to transform our thinking, rewire us. Book Mary's been reading by Caroline Leaf. A lot of new research about the brain, but it basically says at one point, up to 90% of health problems are caused by toxic thinking. That's pretty heavy duty, huh? God redeems us, but then he also transforms us. But there's more. We still live in a body that's not yet 100% redeemed. Our spirit is redeemed. Our soul our mind and emotions is being redeemed, but our body is not yet completely redeemed. When Jesus returns, when this kingdom of God that we live in is culminated by his return, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more aging. There will be no death, no sorrow, no victimization, yet we don't live in the fullness of that yet. You're still with me? It's kind of this now and not yet. It was in one of the lines in one of the songs. The kingdom of God, the rulership of God has broken in. He's redeemed us. Our spirit has been redeemed, born again. We come back into relationship with God. Now we have the spirit of God who is working with us to transform us, leading us into all truth. Occasionally he breaks in and there's something of healing and restoration, but for many of us, that's not complete until we either go to be with him or until Jesus returns. There's the tension we live in. 
But let me say this. I think he did the most important part first. The fact that we're redeemed, our spirit is born again and we can, the sin has been removed and we can come back into relationship with God sets us up while the process continues. His presence, his spirit can transform us, lead us into all truth. But that presence is also with us in the midst of suffering or sickness. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil, for you are with me. Story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. There was one there in the midst of the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar's response was, they'd never seen a God who can deliver in this way. How do he deliver? By going through it with them, not by taking them out of it. So we have this wonderful sense of the presence of God even while we're living in a world that's not totally redeemed. Someone once said, we should embrace suffering. I think we should embrace Jesus in the midst of suffering. When we're redeemed, we can come into his presence. Sin separates us from God. But then we come into his presence and his spirit begins to transform our thinking. Bad thinking doesn't separate us from God. It separates us from others. It has a negative effect on us, but it doesn't separate us from God. God dealt with the thing that separated us. Sickness doesn't separate us from God. He can be there in the midst of that. So he dealt, that's why I would say, I think he dealt with the most important thing first. We can be restored into relationship. Having said all that, maybe we can begin to understand John 16. And verse 8 which says, but when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin is the problem. Sin separates us from God. Sin creates a place that we're no longer in relationship with him. Sin is what Jesus came to remove. Our sin was placed on him so that we could become righteousness. So we understand the Holy Spirit when he wants to deal with the issue of sin. Do we dare pray, come Holy Spirit? After everything I've just said, would you dare pray, come Holy Spirit? I want to tell you a story, testimony. 
in the States, we had a couple who came to the church that we were part of, Chad and Lori Lyman. And this isn't their testimony, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about them because it's actually uh, Lori's sister's testimony. But Lori uh, had a uh, genetic heart problem. Her heart didn't work well. Her mother had died at 48 from the same thing. Her older sister had died at 48 from the same thing. By the time Lori had hit 46 years old, she had had 30 heart operations. Her heart just didn't work. She had a pacemaker, not to set the pace of her heart, but to give it an electric shock so it would beat. Couldn't do anything. Yet one day in church, God touched her and she was radically healed. Her heart pace was only ever at 60 beats a minute. She had no energy. Would try and vacuum the living room and would have to lay down for two hours. Yet the next morning after God touched her, she got up and went for a walk and just kept walking and walking and walking. Three miles. Her family was shocked. The doctor was shocked because her heart rate had risen up to the, the high 70s. And that continued. It was a radical miracle. Huh? Yeah, she was on a transplant list to get a new heart. Long story, but that wasn't the issue. Mary and I went to visit Chad and Laura at their house one day, and her younger sister happened to be there. Now, her younger sister didn't have the same heart problem. But I asked her her thoughts about Lori being healed. And she kind of laughed and told me her testimony. She said she'd always believed in God. She was raised in a home that believed in God. But she didn't think she needed him. Her words, I had a good life. I thought I was a good person. In my mind, I was a good person. I didn't have this heart issue that Laurie and her mom had. She was just, uh, didn't think she needed God. But after Laurie was healed, at, in her own home one day, she just said, thank you God for healing Laurie. She really needed you. No question it was a miracle. The doctor said it was a miracle. Her family said it was a miracle. But what Lori's sister said was that as she said that, what was in her subconscious was that she needed you, I don't. And she said the Spirit of God came upon her and she ended up on the floor where God began to show her her heart her immorality, her pride and arrogance, her selfishness. After 30 minutes, she was so appalled that her thought was, God could never forgive me. And she cried out in desperation, Jesus. And she said instantly, all her guilt and shame was gone. She was forgiven. 
and overwhelmed by the love of God. That's the good news. He removes our sin and all the consequences that go with it. I'm gonna ask you if you'd bow your head. The worship team is gonna come in just a moment. Just wait a second, guys. I'll give you a, a heads up. And we're gonna celebrate what Jesus has done, but we're gonna dare to say, come Holy Spirit. If you've never come to the place of redemption, now's your time. But if there's still stuff, still thinking from the, the kingdom of darkness, the Holy Spirit will identify that as well. Can I dare you? In your heart, would you say, come Holy Spirit? Lord, we say, come Holy Spirit. We trust you. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. Bruce is leading this morning. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. We're going to finish with a song, Thank You, Jesus, for the blood applied. When we understand what he's done. Now, it's said it in a kind of artistic way, but the reality is it's talking about Jesus' death in our place. And a reminder for us. Can we just honor him? If there's something that he's speaking to you that you need to make some adjustments in dealing with, do that. If you've never actually come into his presence from the standpoint of having your sin and shame and guilt removed, even as we sing this, would you just say, Jesus, apply it to me.